Today on episode number 329, Sheila McNeil joins me to discuss time, space, and place. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Hello and welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak. And this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Joining me on today's episode is Sheila McNeil. She's an independent consultant, open educator, writer, keynote speaker, and artist specializing in all aspects of supporting digital learning and teaching primarily within the UK higher education sector. She has over 20 years experience with education, working in a range of national and institutional roles covering curriculum design, assessment and feedback, learning analytics, developing digital capabilities, learning spaces, and almost everything else in between. From September 2017 until June 2020, she was the chair of the Association for Learning Technology, the UK's largest membership organization supporting the effective use of learning technology. She's an active she's active on a range of social media and has been blogging for over 15 years on her experiences and thoughts around various aspects of digital teaching and learning. Sheila, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed. Hi, glad to be here, Bonnie. Thanks for asking me. It's an honor to have you on the show, and I'm excited about this discussion of time, spaces, and places. I'd love to begin just with this idea of how do you create a distinction between spaces and places? That's a really good question to start with, a really tricky one to start with, too. It <laughs> wasn't on I, purpose. <laughs> I had some thoughts in my head of like, I think this is where I distinguish them. I had a whole good conversation with myself about it. So, <laughs> I think it's something over the last six months, I guess, I've been thinking of a lot more because it's been forced upon us because our notions of time, our notions of space, and our notions of place have been evolving so quickly yes. with the pandemic situation. So the spaces and places that we've been very familiar with, not only in education, but in all of our lives have suddenly been taken away from us or have been transformed into quite different spaces and places in our houses, in our schools, you know, everywhere. So I think that's why we need to really rethink and consider when and how and, and why we're in different places at different times. I think there's, there's a bit of a, a cognitive shift that needs to happen for us to really, I think, understand what's happening. I think it's, we did things very, very quickly because we had to. But now we're kind of, we're living with some of the consequences of that and we're actually understanding what that has meant, those shifts have meant to us. So I think that's why I started thinking about that and and particularly in relation to education, why it's so important because people aren't going to necessarily be at one collective face-to-face place, which is what we're all so familiar with. That's just not happening and that's not going to happen in the same way as it has for quite some time yet. 
you know, with physical and social distancing, you know, we've got a long way to go before we get back to what our old normal was. When I think of it, I tend to think of places as a place you would go visit somewhere you could stand, you know, on in a place. And then spaces, I tend to think of both as digital spaces, or I might think of a generic space, like a classroom space. I wouldn't say a classroom place unless I meant a specific Heath 108, that's a place, you know what I mean? So I was thinking yeah, about no, that. No, I, mean, I, th- I think a lot of people think like that. And, t- you know, myself, I, I still think like that a lot. I think there's been much more fluidity. And I think the, yeah. the notion of kind of porosity of porous boundaries between spaces and places, digital and physical, are becoming much more obvious now and, and they're changing. So the, the space and the place where you are is digital but it could be like a fixed place now so i think we're getting we're getting more used to that it also could be a bit more of a transient space as well i.e somewhere that you're just using just now because you know it's a temporary measure so i think that these notions are, are, are changing and, and if you like there's kind of um i did some work with some colleagues um a couple of years ago building on some um, research that was done at the university of the highlands and islands and glasgow school of art where they were talking about the notion of leaky spaces mm-hmm. so you know these kind of things that come out of i suppose our formal education system or, or formal places of work or study that kind of leak into the community and i think we're we're seeing that happening just now. There's been a leakiness of lots of things and lots of places and spaces just now. Oh, I'm fascinated by that. That's the first I've ever heard that phrase. And it's so compelling and descriptive. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's just that idea, you know, the kind of things that drip out of, of academia, I guess. Most of my work's done in, in, in higher education. It's been interesting, I think, the last six months about these, that kind of notion of leakiness because there's a tiny, tiny little bit that kind of drips away and some things, you know, kind of have a great big splash and that, you know, are jumped on by the media. Usually the scary things, you know, the things about, oh my God, online education is terrible and we don't know how to do this and not the good stuff, you know, the stuff that people have been doing for many, many years, particularly around online and digital education. So it is quite an interesting notion, I think. And I think it kind of is it's a really nice metaphor as well for how knowledge, I suppose, permeates different levels of society and different layers of society. Part of what you were describing was also reminding me of the inclusiveness and exclusiveness that's happening all at the same time, where when we meet in digital spaces, the fluidity of that and just are we doing Teams? Are we doing Zoom? I mean, there's the comfort level that some of us have and the ability for us just to be able to get through what we're doing now. But at the same time, we realize people are being left out. And that, you know, I, I, I try I try really hard never to take it for granted that I have a husband who finds Wi-Fi very, very important to him. But it's, it's how we both, you know, make our livelihoods. But it's also just important to him as a value. So we have it in the front yard, in the backyard. We just, and, But so many people just to even show up is a challenge. Absolutely. And I think, you know, certainly in the UK and I think globally now the kind of the structural inequality around access to technology not just to technology but to data the cost of that has really been it's been brought to the fore through the pandemic because people have been forced you know they they, they can't go into spaces so you know the kind of wider you know you're talking about access to to spaces you know I think a lot of people forget that for our students our, our universities and colleges and schools, you know, they're very digitally rich spaces. 
and they're a place particularly for you know our university level students you know they can go and they can tap into that they can find quiet places or communal spaces they've got free wi-fi and there's been you know consistently JISC in the UK do a, a survey of students on, on, on digital capabilities and that's the thing the students is most important to the students is Wi-Fi is you know stable Wi-Fi for many many reasons and that's been taken away from people and then you know you've people you know everyone's been in the house you know how how good is your Wi-Fi connection I've had real problems with my Wi-Fi connection there's not very only two people in my house and we're not hammering it that much so you know how many devices have you got in the house? You know, they, and people have done, you know, have been doing quite a lot to get laptops and devices out, out to people. But, you know, we just weren't prepared for this. And I think, you know, a lot of solutions people presume, there's this presumption about so many things to do with it. You know, we just presume that people will have access. I was at, a, I think it was a, an online conference and we were talking about some actually some academic staff might not have the same equipment at, at home as they had in, in the office. And there was one person in, in, in the chat who just couldn't comprehend why someone would not want to have a high spec computer at home when it was like, well, some people might not want to have a computer in their home. That's their choice. Mm-hmm. They, you're, you are allowed to live offline, although it's increasingly <laughs> difficult to do that. But, you know, I think, yeah, there's lots of things around that about inequality that it's good that we're talking about that now more and, and actually realising we can't just assume that everyone has access to technology that can afford to do that. And I think some of the issues around, well, some of the, the, the things that maybe the press are picking up are around about online education and support, quite a lot of that when you start digging into it. It's not the education that's, that's being offered that's a problem. It's actually everything surrounding that is access to the technology, to data, that, that actually is at the heart of a lot of problems. You begin your exploration of time, spaces, and places with the idea of time. And one thing that really resonated with me is just this conversation that's been going on quite a long time. And that is, I don't have enough time to learn, or I don't have enough time for school, or I don't have enough time. You've seen this shift a little bit lately with the pandemic, yes? Yeah, I think, I think our notions of time have, have changed quite a lot. I think there's never enough time, you know... <laughs> We always want more time, but actually, I think maybe we're looking at time in a in a different way. I, I don't know about you, but for me, March sometimes feels like six years ago, not six months. Other times, it feels like six minutes ago. And I think we've gone through a very kind of up and down time. And this is a slight digression, but one of the things I was listening to over the BBC put on a, a series of plays, partly to help some theatres across the, the country. And there was there was one from the Pitlochry Festival Theatre in Scotland, and it was called Among the Painted People. And it was set in Roman times. And it's basically a two-hander between a Pictish witch and a Roman centurion. And they have this fascinating conversation about time, and it really stuck with me. And he's trying to, she wants to find out about Roman culture and Roman ways. So he starts explaining time, which is quite an alien concept to her. And he draws something and, you know, it's a straight line. It's a timeline. He goes, when we start here, we do that. And she said to him, no, 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 time looks like this. And he says to her, but that's an asterisk. So I think that was a really nice kind of way. So for her, you know, time was shifting because she could move in amongst, you know, her dream world, her, you know, her culture and that kind of thing. And that really struck with 
me when when I heard that and I I think we need to rethink our notion of time and certainly you know like nine to five that's kind of gone out the window we have to be much more flexible about doing things we don't always need to be places at fixed times so I think we do need to really rethink what what time means time on task engagement time all our ways of kind of how we manage time I think needs to be changed as well and we need to examine that so yeah I think Again, it's kind of, it's been forced upon us. But yes, I remember someone, somebody used to say, well, you know, there's never enough time to do anything. But if you want to do something, you will make time, which which is, it's true to an extent. But I think there's been some of the things, I think maybe just now we've, we've had to focus on the things that we really want to prioritise. So let's try and keep that and not lose that when we go back into our old kind of timekeeping ways, if you like. Yeah, what you just said really resonates with me. I I'm really not that interested in conversations about, you know, I, I wish I, I, I want to learn this technology, but I don't have enough time. I want to do this. So I always think, I think I get that Yoda quote in my mind a lot of do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> and yeah, and, I, yeah, and I, I realize that can be harsh and people are dealing with realities, but I have not had a single conversation with anyone to say like, I really want to do this, but I don't have enough time. It's kind of like, I need to do this. And, yeah. and there's just less of it's, the prioritization is just inherent in the getting through this, that, that it's no longer just, no, we don't have enough time, but here's something that is important to me. And it comes up so much with, you know, what do we need to do to equip ourselves for our teaching? But I, I, again, I don't want to sound harsh. I, I worry a little bit. Our kids, we've got a six-year-old and a, and an eight-year-old. And when they just first started adjusting to going back to school with remote learning, there was this whole thing of, you know, my husband and I, we both work. And so we're, <laughs> there's lovely opportunities to interview people like you for podcasts and podcasting isn't super good if you're interrupted a bunch. So it's kind of like, how do we teach them to do transitions at that young of an age? And so I said to my daughter, as we're talking through it, I said, well, how will you know when it's time to get back on the next session? And she says, mommy, I'll look at a clock. Like she looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> and I thought like, like that, I mean, and by the way, is just absolutely stellar at that. And she really is conscious of time and has been making it to all her sessions. But you kind of think sometimes, oh, what are we training them to do? You know, what what is being unlearned yeah, in the process yeah. of learning how to be quote unquote on time at the age of six. But I don't know. I'm a very time oriented person. So I don't think it's a devastating lesson to to learn I just it's that heartache where you you know you want them still to be able to be kids yeah yeah it is difficult I think it's that kind of management oh and I think it's well there's something about if you're going to do maybe there's a now we're having a bit of a flip so if you are doing something you know online synchronously like we're having this conversation yeah you'll come to that on time you don't have the excuse of oh I missed the bus or I was chatting (laughs) to so-and-so in the corridor because it's really up to you to get from whatever part of the house or whatever part of the room you were to, to get online. So, but again, I suppose that's kind of more social conventions. And I think there's, there's something about our conventions and our kind of our, our, I suppose maybe our kind of cultural structures that we need to maybe be re-examining just now. I don't know if we, I mean, there's obviously there's, there's pressure for people to go back to air quotes normal, but we're not going to be able to do that for a while. I was chuckling while you're sharing that example, because I think 
Yes, we don't have an excuse that we missed the bus, but it's a very believable excuse that we just had no notion of what day it was. <laughs> like you could totally see, oh, I'm so sorry I missed it. I thought it was Thursday. <laughs> like in my, in my mind, I just completely had no idea what time or day it was. I got mixed. I was supposed to go, join a webinar yesterday. I mean, it was just in the audience, but I got my, it was different time zone and I got complete, I looked up the wrong time. I don't know how, man, and I just missed it. And I was like, you know what? dismissed it but yeah there, there are those things I know it's just um getting used to different different things yeah a different I don't think I suppose different contexts which it comes down to and I think just reminding ourselves that we are in a we are in a different context now so we have to be cognizant about that and everything that we do another big shift that's happening around space is that we are having to discover maybe rediscover new ways of being and belonging that's such an essential part of just what being at college is all about. And we know through all the research that belonging is something that will help students thrive in their academics and, and be able to persist through graduation. What are you seeing about new ways of being and belonging? Yeah, I think that's such a good point. Yeah, I think, you know, this whole notion of being a student and um being a lecturer, actually just being at university or college just now, it's changing because it's going to be different. It's going to be really different because there are going to be some limited, you know, face-to-face opportunities, but, you know, not just the formal, but the informal, that's kind of gone. So I think you, you, it's possible, you know, but how, how we are and how we can be and how we will be in our, our roles is changing. So I think we need, again, this goes back to time. So I think we're going to have to take a bit more time to do things, particularly those kind of socialisation things and um, allowing our students a bit more time to get comfortable with this new way of, of being a student, because this is going to be, for, you know, particularly for, for new students for first years, it's going to be the first time that they've been at university. It's going to be a very, very different experience. They can speak to some of their peers, but they've had, you know, they've just kind of went through that kind of emergency situation in the last six months. So that's kind of, it's not kind of normalized yet. And again, for returning students, they're going to have to learn new ways of being at university as well. So I think we just need to take a bit more time. I think kind of step back maybe a bit from um, maybe slight obsession with curriculum and, and discipline and actually take a more holistic view of community and how we interact and how we can be together and how we can be apart because obviously you need that space apart as well but how we can do that um, in different times and spaces and places that work for all of us and that's going to take quite a while to um, figure out. We have to be constantly talking about that we have to find out what works for our students and and why. And yes, things are going to be challenging, but, you know, there's enough experience within the education sector, within, you know, within different disciplines. There's some great ways to teach online, you know, there really are. So I think it's going to be quite exciting as well, but we have to maybe just not expect everything to go at this, go follow the same timelines if, you like as before to go back to that kind of story I think it is going to be more like the asterisks I think there's going to be a, a lot more backwards and forwards and up and down and roundabout and that's okay that's really okay when you talk about 
a different notion of time and where and when we show up. I think I know what you mean, but I want to break it down for listeners because you're not meaning that sometimes we're going to show up on Thursdays at four and sometimes we're going to show up on Tuesdays at four, but to take away the privileging of synchronous scheduled things that occur at a given time, which by the way, I think we both would argue are wonderful experiences, but they're not the only way to experience. And I know for yourself, just in your own personal learning and your own journey, your commitment to blogging is such a good example of this. And I'll be sharing actually about one of your posts later on, so I don't want to give too much away. But I think about, you know, here I am able to read a post that you wrote, I can't remember how long ago, but it wasn't today. And it wasn't at (laughs) noon here in California. And just the ways in which we can connect in that community, somewhat out of sync with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, again, going back to that kind of time thing, but absolutely going back, I think you you just put up that so well, that kind of privilege of, and I think there is, there's been an assumption that face-to-face synchronous is best. And I think we've seen that particularly through the media in terms of, well, certainly in the UK, I'm sure it's probably the same in, in the States as well. You know, it's all this, oh, but you've got to pay full fees and you're only getting online. And it's like, well, it's, probably might might actually be a better education that you're you know educational experience so I think yeah we've we've got to kind of get away from those assumptions about yeah you have to be there on on Thursday you know there I think it's it goes back quite passionate about curriculum design and designing learning experiences and if there's one good thing to come out of this whole horrible time it's that there this kind of refocus on design and actually thinking and planning what you're doing in terms of, of, of your teaching which I think everyone needs to be doing anyway so that's good so yeah yeah absolutely you can do things at different times but you need to have you do need to have structure for students and as, as teaching staff you need to have that structure as well there's got to be flexibility of course but you know having a structure so that you know that you being much more open about what we're expecting from students in terms of how we're assessing them. You know, I think, you know, we have to get rid of exams, you know, particularly final exams should be much more a continuous process of of sharing, of of reflecting. And that takes time because that's a big change for a lot of people. But I think, you know, that can be ultimately much more rewarding for students because they can have something that they can be proud of that they can show to other people that start starts opening up the whole educational experience as well I think going back to my blogging I mean I think I've been blogging for about 14 years now which I'm still quite astounded at but I, I started and it was quite interesting because I we, I was actually made to blog I worked for um, a sort of a national support service and we changed our website and then we basically there a, a, a memorandum almost came from on high that we had to start blogging and I was like, oh, it's really odd. It's, it was a very difficult thing to do. It's like, how do you find your tone? How do you find your voice? But actually, I got quite into it. And it actually made me write. And I quite like the freedom of writing a blog as opposed to an academic paper. And um, because basically I'm a bit lazy, <laughs> I didn't have to reference things properly. But also at that point, I was going to a lot of international yeah the days when we traveled I was going to conferences I was doing things and I found this a really good way for me to instead of maybe doing what you would call maybe a road trip kind of summary report that maybe would have been emailed to people or put on a mailing list I could put up my blog and it got a bigger audience and actually 
I started to realize that my blog was actually my my professional memory, if you like, as well as my portfolio, because if something was significant, I tend to blog, and still if something's significant, I tend to write a blog post about it. So it's worked for me, but it did take a while to do that, but I'm glad I've done it because I can't remember a thing anymore. So it's quite useful to have that to look back on. Another thing that you stress that we should be doing more of or maybe rethinking entirely is digital capabilities. Talk first about sort of the distinction that you make between focusing on our personal digital capabilities as well as at the institutional level. Yeah, so I think this goes back to, you know, what we're talking about, about being at university. I think, you know, certainly over the last six months, I've been having sort of thoughts about particularly the, the first year experience, that maybe what we need to do is kind of take a step back from sort of discipline focus. I'm not saying that you forget about your discipline, I'm not saying that at all, but maybe kind of concentrate on kind of wider digital capabilities. So um, research, um, licensing, um, working together, finding out how to work online so using the different systems so just actually using zoom using teams using you know collaborate ultra whatever conferencing system at the university but doing it in in a i suppose a a sort of a less risky way so maybe something that can take people through the, the the process of how you post something how you share you know how you how you share your screen how you share a picture getting people comfortable with having a conversation in in a synchronous environment. I mean, I think sometimes you forget that, you know, particularly if you're in a lecture, not many people are going to speak in a lecture and ask questions in a lecture. But, you know, how can we get people comfortable with this new environment? You know, there's, there's things we do face to face to get people comfortable with group working you know, in breakout groups, getting staff comfortable with doing those kind of things. So I think, you know, there's a tendency sometimes where people think, well, all these ear quotes here again, young people, they're always on their phone, you know, they're TikToking, they're doing everything. But that's completely different because the motivation and the risk there are completely different than doing so doing something for your friends and family. So running a Zoom quiz for your family, which was hugely popular here over lockdown, you know, it's completely different than actually, you know, one of your first assignments at university or colleges, can you develop a quiz for, you know, this class, la la la, and it's going to be assessed and it's going to be marked. That's quite a good activity, but you can introduce it in a much more kind of low stakes way for people to get more comfortable with it. So, you know, there's research, we know that actually, you know, there's an assumption about, I suppose, younger people's comfort and and capabilities around about using technology in an educational context they still need that scaffolding they need that kind of educational support to do that to understand what they're doing and also quite a lot of the time they'll be using systems that they haven't used before or using them in a way that they haven't used before so having a you know a quiz night with your family and your friends is completely different than doing it in your class with you especially if it's a new group of peers you know, so I think we need to kind of look at that and, and, and help develop, I think, you know, capabilities and confidence go hand in hand. So mm-hmm. building, you know, people's confidence. And also, I think the context is really important just now because there is no discipline that COVID-19 doesn't impact upon. So there's things that we need to be questioning. We're living in a, you know, such a hugely political time. There are so many things happening just now. And we need to ensure that our students have the information literacy skills 
to be assessing information, to be questioning data, you know, to be finding the truth, to question, you know, there, there are so many things just now that we, it's incumbent on us, I think, as educators to try and make sure that we have critically engaged students who can question why decisions are being being made, who can have an informed debate, not black and white arguments that we're seeing at certain levels, you know, because the world is not black and white. So we need to get, we need to ensure that we're we're equipping our young people to do that because, you know, it's a really scary world that we're living in just now. And we, you know, we need to make sure that people have this, the skills to critique what's happening and understand their context and understand history and to be able to question and research and get people engaged with a scholarly activity. I realize what I'm about to ask is in no way, shape or form the most important thing you just shared, but I'm discovering a cultural difference possibly that I really want to learn more about. What are these Zoom quizzes? I want to hear about this because oh they God. sound like yeah. fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, um, in the, during lockdown here in the UK anyway, maybe it's just a Scottish thing, but anyway, lots of families, um, particularly because we couldn't travel more than five miles. So lots of families were having, or, you know, sort of extended families and, and friends were having extended quiz, Zoom quizzes. So they were having a quiz night on Zoom. So basically one one person in the family would develop a, a, a quiz and everybody else had to do it. So it was a, a bit of fun for people. But yeah, it was quite a thing for, for a bit. And I think depending on, on your family and friend circle, some people would have taken it much more seriously than others. <laughs> We actually had, I know there were some um, pubs here that, that um, who, who did weekly, normally would do a weekly pub quiz, did them online. So, you know, it was kind of, they were do, there was a bit of like, we'll rely on you to kind of mark your own things and, and be honest about it. But it was just kind of a, I suppose, a thing that people people were doing. And again, it was kind of that communicating, I think, with, with family and friends. You know, this is a, reminding me of one of my daughter's teachers in, in the summer. They were doing this get ready for school little program and they had them take out a deck of cards and they were teaching or reviewing math skills by, oh, what card did you draw? What card did you draw? Yeah. I'm fascinated by these ways people are being so creative to come up with rather than trying to pull you into a screen as a mm. passive participant to actually draw people into your context and your experience where you are. And I mean, I just, I find what's happening there to be just so beautiful and, and innovative and just so fun to see. Yeah. And I think that's a kind of an extension of the things. Cause I, a good friend of mine, her daughter is eight and she loves, um, she loves well, every year old loves art so I'm, I'm an artist as well so I was um, sending her a few kind of video art lessons you know just very simple things so I'd be like you know can you draw this so I got her to um just expect you know like draw a tea because she has a lovely little teapot that we talk about every time I go around to her house so I was like well what I want you to do is like for a minute I want you to draw the teapot and then I want you to move it and then draw it so you do that for five minutes and you kind of almost get a moving picture mm. so we did that and then I got her to do it without actually looking at the same thing without actually looking at the teapot. So you have these two kinds. So I sent her a little video and she made me a little video and sent it back to me. And, you know, those kind of things I think are great. And I think that's, again, kind of building up digital capabilities in a different way. But she was also doing something quite active. So, you know, it wasn't just you know, we were talking earlier before we started about notions of screen time and how that's changing. 
this is much more active. So things like that, yeah, there's a huge amount that you can do um, that are quite creative, but actually are things that we've been doing for years and years. You know, it's mm-hmm. just a different medium. They're just being delivered in a different medium. As an artist, you're illustrating right now this idea that constraints can really enhance creativity. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. it is stuff we've been doing, but yet we're just finding even more different ways of thinking about that. Yeah, and I, I think as well, that's why, you know, this kind of notion of time and being needs to change. We need to give ourselves some time to be to be and to be a bit more comfortable and not just assume that if you're going to be teaching that everything has to be online and asynchronous and you have to you have to you have to do everything and it's like no you don't have to do everything you know you draw in your students there's lots of things that you will know as a teacher but it's having that time to just be able to translate that into something that might work and is going to be effective with your group of students and that takes time and it's not always going to work so we have to build in that time for actually learning from each other and finding out why things don't work. So it might be just something quite simple in that you've maybe got too many people trying to do something or it's maybe just a bit too complicated or equally, actually, we you thought something was maybe going to take half an hour and it took five minutes. <laughs> yeah. But we have to talk about these things and we all have to be sharing. And I think that's, again, the more open we can be about that. And that goes back to kind of blogging and reflective practice. And it's one of the things I've been, you know, I just keep saying this all the time, it's been wonderful to see the sharing of practice across the sector internationally that's been happening. You know, that's been a fantastic thing. You know, people really helping each other. So we, we need to keep that going and, and share what, what works and, and what doesn't. This is the point in the show where we each get to share our recommendations and you just provided me with the perfect segue into the first thing that I'd like to recommend. And that is a post that you wrote called the upside down and in between the uncertainty of where I am right now. It feels to me like more than ever, just to have other people naming their experience in very transparent, raw, vulnerable ways It just makes me breathe a sigh of relief, you know, to know, oh, I'm not alone. And I just thank you for your transparency in this post. I thank you for naming so many of the feelings that so many of us are having, but also, of course, your own unique experience and what you've been going through. So I just want to recommend that everyone head over and read your post. And while you're there, over on the right-hand side, you'll see a list of recent posts. And before you know it, (laughs) you'll be enveloped in such a wealth of 15 years of blogging experience extravagance. And um, I just thank you for your generosity. And again, it, it takes courage, it takes vulnerability to do what you do on your blog. And it's just such a delight to have been introduced to it. So thank you for all of that. My second one, I'm actually going to play it. It's a video clip, but I think you'll get the gist of it because it's um, from a movie, I believe back in the 80s called The Jerk. It was with Steve Martin. And in this particular scene, Steve Martin's character is uh, in bed with Bernadette Peters' character. It's not that kind of clip, by the way. It's a very innocent clip. <laughs> She's asleep in this in this clip. But it's so classic for what you were talking about with time. Because every, <laughs> every time when you go like, I think we last got connected possibly 62 years ago or six minutes ago. I don't know which it was. And every time someone says something like that, it reminds me of this clip. So I'm going to let it play. Just It's like a minute or something. Steve Martin is in bed with Bernadette Peters. Her character is asleep. And here's what he has to say about since he met her, kind of what's happened and how it relates to time. I know we've only known each other for four weeks and three days. But to me, 
It seems like nine weeks and five days. The first day seemed like a week, and the second day seemed like five days, and the third day seemed like a week again, and the fourth day seemed like eight days. But the fifth day, you went to see your mother, and that seemed just like a day. But then you came back, and then later, on the sixth day in the evening when we saw each other, that started seeming like two days. So in the evening, it seemed like two days spilling over into the next day, and that started seeming like four days. So at the end of the sixth day, on into the seventh day, it seemed like a total of five days. And the sixth day seemed like a week and a half. That is a clip from The Jerk. And I think everyone should go and click and have a have a watch. And um, what a what an amazing at least parallel for me and how I've been thinking about time because time is not thought of in days anymore. At least it's a little more complicated than that for me. So Sheila, I'm going to pass it over to you for your recommendations. Have you, by the way, have you ever seen that movie? It's from a long while back. Oh, do you know, I I recognize it, but I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to watch it again now. I think I might have. Yeah, a long time ago. Okay, that's that's great. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for the recommendation. For me. Oh, of course. I love that post and I loved all the other ones I read when I was up there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So my first recommendation is something that I watched earlier this week on Netflix and it's called John is Looking for Aliens and it's 15 minutes. I'm not going to say anything else about it, but it's just a lovely story on many, many levels. It's a doc- mini documentary. The other thing that I wanted to recommend, and you, you probably know about this as well, is that there's been a set of online teaching resources that have been created and shared through Equity Unbound and 1HE, so a community building resources for online teaching. It's just a fantastic set of open resources. Many people that I hugely admire, like Maha Bali and Catherine Conan and Mia Zamora, they've just got these videos and it's the great thing about it is they're actually going through the activities, there's icebreakers and things you can do for synchronous online teaching. Fantastic set of resources. So I think that's well worth everyone looking at. So I think that's my main two recommendations. Sheila, it's been such a joy to be connected with you. And I'm so glad for today's conversation. And I feel like it's going to continue in one way or the other, whether it's me keeping uh, subscribing to your blog or and also following you on social media. I just thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom today. Oh, no, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you very much um, for having me. It's been great. Thank you so much. I was so glad to have been connected with Sheila McNeil by a former podcast guest, Deb Bath. It took me a while to catch up with her on my end of things, but I was so glad for this conversation. If you'd like to check out the show notes for today's episode, they're over at teachinginhighered.com slash 329. You're also welcome to sign up for our occasional updates over at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. And when you do, you'll get a free ebook with 19 tools that will help you with both teaching as well as productivity. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Teaching in Higher Ed.